The information and opinions expressed on these broadcasts are intended to address specific questions asked or situations described on the program and are not designed to constitute advice or recommendations as to any disease, ailment, or physical condition. You should not act or rely upon any information contained in these broadcasts without seeking the advice of your personal physician. If you have any questions about the information or opinions expressed during these broadcasts, please contact your doctor. Welcome to The Recovery Show with Dr. Joe and Angelina. For the next two hours, we'll be discussing addiction, recovery, and human connection. I'm a double board certified addiction physician practicing here in Newport Beach in Costa Mesa. I'm joined by Angelina, an associate clinical social worker who also works in the field of addiction and mental health treatment. Tonight, we hope to inform you, connect you to the people who can help you, and help you take on life a little bit better prepared than when you started. It's the Recovery Show. I'm Dr. Joe. And I'm Gia, sitting in for the lovely Angelina. Ah, Gia. Sitting in for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Angelina's gone, and you you both think you run the place now. Okay. I'm sure she's going to call in and start giving you what for. Gia, it's really nice to have you at my side tonight. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice to fill in for Angelina. That's tough. Big shoes, big shoes. Big shoes, big size nines, nine and a half. Oops, did I say too much? (laughs) Never tell a woman shoe size. <laughs> Some damn nice shoes. So, another Thursday night. We're going to be doing an hour tonight. So, um, if you're going to get your phone calls in, get them in early and uh, call often. 949-650-1015. Actually, who's going to be doing the phones then, Gia? I just thought about that. You know what? I think Rip should do it. He can multitask. He can do it. I will Ripple, take that commitment. Do the phones. No well, problem. Now that I've got you guys in here, I want to, you know, I, I do want to celebrate a life that we've lost. And uh, then we have a special guest on that's going to be speaking about um, something that happened to her in the past couple of months, a loss that she suffered in her life. And we talk about the opioid crisis and the opioid epidemic, but we sometimes don't put faces and names to... Uh, to words, right. to, to ideas, to concepts. And we hear this over and over again. Um, and we hear about <clears throat> 60,000 people. You know, somebody dies every 130 minutes um, from a drug overdose. And we lost 60,000 people last year. And it's the number one cause of death uh, in ages from 24, I believe, 24 to 40. Uh, that those are pr- some pretty serious numbers, and they they continue to grow despite um, education and despite media um, awareness. Right, Gia. They sk- it skyrockets. You know, I mean, every day. You're right. You're right. Um, this weekend, I lost two patients. Well, they they weren't directly under my care, but I had taken care of them, and they left, and they wanted to wrap up a few loose ends, as they put it. Uh, one was one was not really expected and one one kind of was I saw mm-hmm. um, she was struggling um, but but the young gentleman was a surprise and that's never easy to deal with um, especially talking with their family <clears throat> talking with their family and and just trying to make sense of it and right it's never easy um, so the opioid epidemic is not just words to us and um, I wanted to pay respect 
to to two people that were that were that I took care of, and we became close, and um, they're not here anymore. And um, yeah, enough of that. So it's real, it's real, and we live it every day. Uh, we in the treatment field of treatment, addiction medicine. Um, I think we have worse survival rates than cancer patients. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. At least cancer, if left untreated, can sometimes spontaneously remit. Alcoholism, is, is, if left untreated, is, is fatal, is if not completely disabling. Absolutely. Inevitable. Um, so we lost somebody um, to the alcohol epidemic, and that's another epidemic that we really don't talk about. We don't. We um, don't do that too much. <laughs> I think that's something you know we should probably touch on. Uh, well, way more people die from alcohol right. than from opiates. Correct. And, um, but alcohol's legal, and it's a conscious decision, and we don't really um, look at it the same way. And we tried to prohibit it, and that didn't work out very well. <laughs> mm. Right. So um, we lost we lost David Cassidy on November seventeenth. Uh, Gia, do you remember David Cassidy from the Partridge family? I do remember David Cassidy. Actually, probably reruns from the Partridge family. He was he was a good looking guy. He was hot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there was I don't think there was a woman around. And D, I'm going to bring you in on this too. <laughs> I want to introduce D, our guest special guest tonight. D, do you have any uh, David Cassidy? Uh, Oh, he was Love adorable. You know, we all had a crush on <laughs> David, without a doubt. David Cassidy died of <clears throat> liver failure, and he suffered from he suffered from two really bad things for the last couple of years of his life. First of all, alcoholism, and he he racked up a couple of DUIs in the last years of his life. He could not get a hold of of his drinking. And Alzheimer's as well. And that ran in his family. His mom had it, and. Uh, so he had a double whammy, yeah. and uh, he died of multi-organ failure on November 17th, and he died at age 67, so that's pretty young. Super young. Too young. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but if, you know, for anybody who's old enough to remember, he was, he just was massive for a whole decade. And, and what did he really do? I mean, he was Keith Partridge and the Partridge family, uh, and he was a pop idol. He's like one of the, one yeah. of the, you know. But Singer, he was cute. Guitarist. Oh, was he? Good yeah. yeah. He okay. was a guitarist, so, a singer, and a songwriter as well. Didn't he do, didn't he write for the Carpenters and did, didn't he write for a whole bunch of bands? The Carpenters, yeah. I know he did that. My mom was always talking about that. Anyway, so he wasn't just a pretty face. No, not at all. He's a talented guy. But, uh, you know, it seems like we lose somebody to drugs and alcohol, like, every couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last year was a bad year for it. Um, this year we're going to probably have a wrap up show and talk about everybody that went this year. Um, now D, <clears throat> we brought you on the show tonight to talk about your loss. We did. I lost a son, uh, my son Joey, who had just turned 30 three months before and I lost him September 15th of this year. Lost him to a hero accidental, as they call it, accidental heroin do overdose that I believe, unknowing to him, was cut with fentanyl. And yeah, we are seeing a lot, a lot of, of that. that. Just so then he had been back east where it's just running rampant right now. Mm -hmm. um, had been sober probably, to my knowledge, at least right up until maybe four days before. 
wow. had been in treatment. Probably. Was he in treatment out east? He was in no, Connecticut? He, he was in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. He'd gone to stay with friends who were sober that he helped get sober here. Just tried something new because he was born and raised in California. Mm-hmm. And then he had gone to a treatment center in Texas, done a 30. He did a detox here, and then he did a 30-day in Texas and had only been in Connecticut six weeks. Um, was doing great, had a job, was going to meetings, went to New York and... You know, probably thought he could do just a little bit, and uh, it was just, you know, he had battled for, I want to say, 14 years, 14 to 15 years, not heroin. He started smoking pot when he was 14. Wow, so he he was 30 when he died? He was 30 when he died, Uh just turned. And you're never prepared. I mean, there were times in my life when I thought he would lose him, I would lose him when he had some dark periods, and then he would go to treatment do great and it got to the point where I always said well I'm cautiously optimistic I have pom-poms I had learned to set boundaries I would not see him when he had relapsed not because I didn't love him as I explained to him but because I couldn't take it anymore Mm -hmm. but I wanted to hear from him I wanted a text something to know he was alive but the second he went to treatment again I would be there to give him support Mm -hmm. so I learned to say that I was cautiously optimistic but had my pom-poms in hand. Mm-hmm. We had talked oh, joke, jokingly just a few weeks before I lost him. And I said, you know, if you were a cat, you'd be on Life 10. <laughs> and uh, he knew. He knew. And, and I just, I don't think he wanted to be sober. We had had that conversation. I, I, I do wonder about some of the patients I take care of. He understood sobriety. He helped so many other people. When he was sober, he sponsored people. Even when, and he many times was a functioning addict. I've talked to professional people that didn't know he had a problem. Mm-hmm. He had many other people that he convinced to go to treatment, but he couldn't help himself. A little bit of the science behind this is that opiate addicts can can stay, especially heroin addicts, can stay at that same dose for years, shooting a gram, two grams, three grams a day, and maintain. And then he threw meth into it. Then all of a sudden, right. Then all of a sudden, they need the next le- pleasure level. And, and then they lose it. And then methamphetamine, I don't know what it does in addition to the opiate receptor. Well, I do know what it does, but I, I don't know what... It's like a push over the edge. It's like going up the roller, the first hill of the roller coaster, and then you do something else. And I think fentanyl has a lot to do with that, too. I do. And for some reason, I can't speak to anyone other than his personal chemistry. If he smoked pot and did meth, he went crazy. He just... Smoked pot and did meth. Yeah. It just was the wrong combination for him. He would hallucinate. He would get more paranoid. Yeah. It just didn't work. Well, think about that. I mean, marijuana is about to become legal. By the way, the phone number is 949-650-1015. If you have any questions for D or for us in general, Miss Gia, or questions for Rip, uh, let her rip. Give us a call. Um, Yeah, when you throw fentanyl, when you throw methamphetamine... It ain't it ain't heroin because fentanyl fentanyl has a shorter half life, so it's easier to become more addicted to it. You get sicker faster. With with some people, uh, actually, with most heroin addicts, they know how long it's going to take for them to get sick, so they know how long they have to wait for their next, you know. Right, and shot. if they don't know fentanyl's in it, 
Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know what to expect, or they don't know how to titrate what they would normally do. Mm-hmm. It's not good. If you if you use heroin and you've had experience with more and more fentanyl coming to the West Coast, and that's what's been happening, people are noticing that the heroin is looking different. It's a lot lighter, especially the tar that tar. The, the tar heroin that comes from, up from Mexico and down from Canada um, is now being mixed. So it's not dark brown anymore. It's becoming light brown. And in China, in, in, on the East Coast, it's mostly China white. It's mostly the, the Asian. They don't have tar. It's mostly her- Asian heroin. It's e- European and Asian. And from mid- the Middle East, Afghanistan, from actually the actual poppy plant. <laughs> Novel idea. And uh, it's easy to tell. And they actually mark their, mark their balloons with certain symbols to indicate that this might have a little bit more fentanyl and this might not. Uh, the West Coast is not so forgiving. So that's why we're seeing a lot more of this. And people who move from the West Coast to the East Coast and start using dope out there start you know, overdosing know. at alarming rates. Tremendous rates. And not only do they mark the heroin, but they mark what county or what town it came from on their baggies. Oh, um, really? In my son's posses- possession in his backpack, the two towns he were at, they knew exactly where he had purchased it. They're like proud. They're stamping where it's coming from. I never heard of such a thing. Me, it's, it's me neither until I started seeing more and yeah, more patients who came into Orange County. And we see a lot of... It's it's interesting that your son left Orange County because most people from around the country come, come here. To they Orange come to Orange County. Right, they come to Malibu. They, right. they either... Florida, kind of nobody's going to Florida anymore. Yeah. Florida kind of got <laughs> flushed. <laughs> down the toilet. Well, you um, know, my son helped a tremendous amount of people. Um, yeah. And there was someone that he had helped that knew that he was in treatment and said, why don't you try coming here? I'm working a strong program. I have a sponsor. You can get a job. I know people you get a job serving and just try something different. And he was doing great. I think that sounds reasonable. I mean, how, how could you... Uh, I'm sure, D, you think about what you could have done different, what you could have said, what you could have done. Or after 14 years, are you just, like, completely okay with being helpless like that? Well, and you're never okay. And I think I always knew... I, I don't think. I always knew this was a possibility. This could happen. But you're always hopeful, and you're never prepared. I was always there for him. That's not to say I didn't do tough love along the way. Mm-hmm. There were times when um, he was living in his car. I kicked him out of the house for smoking heroin in his brother's bedroom for the last time. Mm-hmm. And he was living in his car, but I was still paying his cell phone bill. Because even though he wasn't talking to me, I got up every morning and checked my cell phone bill. Because I knew if he had been on the phone during the night, you he was alive. Mm-hmm. And my oldest son came to me and said, what are you doing, Mom? You know, you're making yourself sick, mm-hmm. and what are you doing? That was a turning point for me in understanding that I was still enabling. I called my son, and I said, you have three days to get your own phone. I'm turning yours off in three days. I will no longer enable you to call drug dealers. And I followed through. Yeah. That's good. I didn't hear from him for six months. I heard Joey's sightings from all his friends. When we reunited and he went into treatment again, he would brag that I loved him enough to turn off his phone and do tough love. Mm -hmm. So through that process and through our communication and through having had him in different treatment, and then he would put himself in treatment, 
not always for the right reason. Mm. If you have insurance in Orange County and you're getting kicked out of your apartment and lost your job, you can go to rehab. Yep. And you can go to Knott's Berry Farm <laughs> and you can get your meals and you get money for cigarettes. And you can get money for it, I've yeah, heard. I've heard that people are getting you know, paid to do this. So, well, I don't know about that, but it's uh -huh. just not always the right reason to go to rehab. So yeah. we were through that. How come insurance companies haven't caught on to that? That's a whole other yeah, show, by the way, and we shouldn't go down that well, rabbit hole. we could hole. go there, but probably not today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, through all that, and I would have my sons who had their own boundaries say, Mom, why are you doing this? Why do you keep going back? It's different, I think, as a mom. And I, to answer your question, I know in my heart that I couldn't have done anything different and I don't have any, I wish I should have, I wish I could have, what would have happened. We were very honest with each other, especially the last couple of years. And at 30 years old and being in, I think he was in treatment 14 times, and sponsoring other people, he knew. I mean, he could write the book on, on how to get sober He was in treatment 14 times. Mm -hmm. wow. But he put himself in. Uh -huh. um, he could write that book. He could help other people. He just, I really believe, chose not to help himself at the end. So I don't have the feeling of, could I have done anything different? Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for my relationship with him. He was my best friend, and I think I was his. I and mean, it was sometimes you have that relationship where I would talk about him, he would call. He would be texting me, and I would call. We had a very close relationship in spite of, his addiction didn't define him. He was a wonderful person outside of the addiction. He helped a lot of people. He was very compassionate and very bright, which I think most addicts are. And he was involved in 12-step? He was very involved in 12-step. Okay. Normally people who are involved in the 12-step community are make sobriety their life. So that didn't define him. That's interesting. It didn't define So him. he walked around. He, how was he outside of the 12-step community? He, I mean, as far as going to concerts, he would go and stay sober. Uh -huh. He would support other people. He would encourage people to do 12 steps. Friends who, uh, when I had so many messages after I lost him telling me, you know, your son helped me, not only just in sobriety, but giving me confidence to speak, giving me confidence to leave an abusive relationship, just being sympathetic. So he was, you know, on the outside, he helped so many people. I have all his notebooks from the last three years of his step work. He had a lot of demons and a lot of things he wrestled with inside that he just didn't show. Demons. Demons. Yeah. You know, I, I... I want to talk about that a little bit. The, I see... <clears throat> I see addicts... Uh, when I take care of, of people who struggle, I, I treat it like an exorcism. Because mm -hmm. I do see the demons. But I never really... I had mine. Okay? Dealt with them. Still live with them. Um, they sit at the table with me. But what... Y you know... Demons are sometimes insurmountable. What what was he? Can you can you give us a little insight as to what he was struggling with? Because everybody looks at addiction on the outside. I'm trying to I'm trying to speak to the to the normie community that are, do not have the, no addiction in their family or anybody that they know. They don't it really looks, understand. It looks insane from the outside. It looks selfish, insane. 
but, but on the inside, yeah, yeah, he helped other people, and he was outgoing, and he was friendly, and he, if you. If he asked you to see his watch, your watch, and you gave it to him, at the end of the conversation, he could sell it back to you and you'd thank him. He <laughs> 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 you know, definitely was. And, but through all that, he also changed the face of what people perceive an addict to be. Mm-hmm. He was friendly. He was successful when he wanted to be in business. He was a charming salesman. But the demons were underneath all that. He was very insecure. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you could be the highest guy and the funniest guy and the loudliest guy because that was the way he got attention. Mm -hmm. Inside, he was insecure. He would find his own flaws and and magnify them to himself. He wanted to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't do something quite right, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't let it go. He would beat himself up over it. And he was going to beat himself up more than anybody else could. Absolutely. So, So therefore not getting hurt. Absolutely. But after that many times and reading his step work, sometimes I think he used his demons to continue using them like as an excuse. Uh Uh-huh rather than letting go of them. He could fall back on them, and that's my excuse for getting high. Yeah. But I don't think it was really his excuse. I think he just liked the feeling. I think, and I've seen this with other people that I've worked with teaching fitness Mm -hmm. and recovery, is he's exceptionally bright, Mm -hmm. as many addicts, I believe, are. Most addicts Most addicts are bright. And exceptionally sensitive. And I believe his drug use was to cover up that sensitivity. Yeah, I want to go back. It masked those feelings. After this break, I want to go back and I want to talk about what it looked like from the start and how you can maybe help some people on the outside who are looking for the warning signs and what could you do to kind of steer your, your children in the right direction. Sounds good. So we'll do that when we come back. The phone number here is 949-650-1015. This is The Recovery Show. I'm Dr. Joe. And I'm Gia. And we'll be right back after this short break. If you're considering real estate right now, whether it be buying or selling, make sure you enlist the help of an experienced local realtor. Hi, this is Troy Davis with the Agency Realty. I have over 28 years of successful negotiations right here in the Newport Beach Costa Mesa marketplace. The bottom line is, I know how real estate works, and I'd like to help you with your real estate as well. You can always email me at Troy at TroyDavis.com. That's Troy at TroyDavis.com. I know the marketplace. I know how real estate works. I'd love to help you out. Thanks so much. Fans of the famed Golden Bear will love the live music scene at Don the Beachcomber in Huntington Beach, the vintage Tiki Palace with Asian-American dinners and their famous tropical drinks. Like the Golden Bear of old, you can relax at reserve tables and enjoy top-notch touring artists like Albert Lee, David Lindley, Marshall Crenshaw, or Chris Hillman of the Birds. Don the Beachcomber presents blues, rockabilly, and classic rock with dancing and great food. Info at DonTheBeachcomber.com for dates and reservations. That's Don the Beachcomber. The Potting Shed in Old Town Orange is a boutique garden shop specializing in water-wise plants, container gardens, treasures from local artists, and rustic finds. The Potting Shed in Orange. More at tpshomeandgarden.com. That's tpshomeandgarden.com. Hello, 
Show. The phone number here is 949-650-1015. I'm Dr. Joe, and in studio with me, substituting for Angelina, is the Gia. wonderful Gia, and our great guest, Dee Simmerant. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dee lost her son to a heroin overdose two and a half months ago. Okay, um, this is a reality for families that are struggling with a loved one addicted to opiates. We're losing people left and right. Um, no parent should bury their child. That was in his notes when he was doing his step work. No parent should bury their child. And we had that conversation. He had been in a dark phase just a few months before he went to treatment for the last time. And he told me, he said, Mom, the only reason I didn't do anything was because I didn't want to hurt you. I wouldn't want to hurt you. And here we sit. Gia, you're, you're a mom. You, what, what's, what's your, how, you, I, see, I see you going through certain emotions here. What, what, what's your take on this? Definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Dee, during the first uh, segment, um, you know, I just thought you were, you'd made that statement about, you know, wanting to help and how you were still enabling and, and things like that. You know, as a mother and as, as a woman, you know, sometimes it's it's hard because that's what we do is we protect our children. You know, we're there for them. We want to fix it. We want to help. Tell me a little bit. Tell the, the audience and everyone out there, you know, how that really worked for you and how you were able to separate. It didn't work. You know, wanting to fix it. It is. I think it's part of being a woman. You just want to, and, and part of being a mom is you want to make everything okay. Just like when they're hurt and you want to kiss their knee and tell them it's okay. And I tried. I tried being understanding. I tried laughing. I tried, um, one of the stories my son always loved to tell was he was started smoking pot before school when he was probably in eighth grade, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe ninth. Growing up, I had friends that smoked pot before school. They were really bright and kind of evened them out, and I thought that was cool. Mm. Well, it's not cool when it's your kid. You know, you can't parent that. And I understood, as we talked about before, my son was exceptionally bright and exceptionally impatient. So I think it would mellow him out, but I got tired of saying something. So one day, he went to school, and I knew exactly where he kept his little bubbler. And I put it in a baggie, and I put it between towels, and I took a hammer and smashed it Mm. and put it back where I knew he kept it and never said anything. He came home from school, and I heard this, no, (laughs) what are you going to do? I drug tested him at home 
all my sons because if you were smoking pot, you couldn't get your driver's license until you were 18 because I wasn't going to be responsible for it. You had a choice. That was your rule? That was my rule. Okay. So you had a choice. Joey didn't get his license until he was 18. Mm. But that was his choice. But I stuck to my guns, and you learn to stick to your guns. But I did. I, I definitely enabled him. I definitely gave him more chances. and. So during those drug tests, did he test positive for anything else? No. So, okay, so he was weed only, and until eleventh grade. Okay. Did you? Was there a lot of bargaining going on with y- in, in your mind, saying, "Okay, this is fine." Yeah, you know, it's okay. Not, yeah, he'll grow out of it. Yeah, we all smoke pot. Did you have any? Pa- are, aren't we completely powerless as to what our children get into? No matter what kind of direction, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. F- you are if, powerless. If, if you can recommend, like, what could you do? What could you recommend to families out there, to parents that have eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, which is when you should start talking to your kids about drugs, by the way. What, what advice would you give to them? Can you give them any advice? Are we just... Are, you know, are we just... One of my biggest pet peeves about that is tell your children. You know, we tell them... Drugs are bad for you. Drugs are bad for you. Don't do drugs. And then the first time they're exposed to drugs, it makes them feel good. Yeah. And they go, well, how this can this be mad yeah. for me? You mm-hmm. know, everyone's been lying to me. So my personal belief is they need to be educated that, yeah, drugs do make you feel good. And that's why they're bad for you, because they're going to suck you in. Mm-hmm. But be honest with them. I think that keep it being honest and keeping the lines of communication open help a lot. But it's hard, and to answer your question, I enabled, again, until it was like I did a 12-step of unenabling on myself. It was um, learning that it wasn't a matter of me setting boundaries. It was a matter of this is not acceptable, and I can't allow myself to go through this anymore. And communicating that to him, I think... An awareness for me, and you should have seen his face, was one day we sat down and I said, we have an abusive relationship. He said, what are you talking about? And I said, in my mind now, our relationship is no different than an abused woman in a different relationship. Because you get sober, I let my guard down, I trust you, I bring you back into my life, you relapse, I get hurt, you go to treatment, I get hopeful, you relapse, I get hurt. We are on a vicious cycle. It's the abusive cycle. It's the same thing as an abusive cycle. But how did you come to that conclusion? How did you recognize that? You know, it's just, I'm very self-intuitive. Did you do Al-Anon? Did you do 12-step family support? I've been to Mm Al-Anon, but I've read a lot more of Al-Anon, and it was just one of those self, you know, thinking through things. I think one for Al-Anon, the best thing, one of the best things I got out of Al-Anon, and Al-Anon is a wonderful support group. For me, as a woman, I wish I had been to an Al-Anon meeting a lot sooner. No is a complete sentence. As women, mm-hmm. we always say no, and then we want to explain ourselves. And they'll turn you out because you're talking on and on. No is a complete sentence because I said so. Absolutely. It's the most powerful thing I ever learned. Right. And I use it in all aspects of my life. You don't have to keep explaining, explaining yourself. yourself. But that's what we do. We do. So there was just a turning point, and I think a lot of that turning point was when I realized that I was allowing myself into this cycle. I had to stop. So when your son was smoking weed, really common amongst kids these days, is there something you could have done to get him to stop? 
No. So he was he was on his way. He was on his way. And do you think marijuana was a gateway drug for him? And do you think marijuana is a gateway drug in general? If you're not an addict, do you think it's a gateway drug? Your opinion. If you're not an addict, mm-hmm. no. But how do you know that? Right. That's the, that, that's the secret sauce right yeah, there, man. Right if, I, there. If, if I could come up with yeah. that. How do you know? You, well, we're doing research to try to figure out genetic patterns. But and family history, you, you, you know, he's got genetics. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to get too much into that. No, but. but again, he was really bright. And by the time he was 19, he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Very painful. Very painful. Mild case, unless you're using drugs, and that's going to exacerbate it. Mm. But that gave him a license to legally get what he was illegally using before. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, my back hurts. Oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, I need a script. Mm. And if you've got Crohn's, do you have surgeries? No, to root? no, okay. it wasn't a bad case, other than it was became that way from using drugs. Mm. But no, he didn't have to have heavy medication. So Crohn's is a colitis, very It's a colitis. Very it's an IBS. Cause. Yeah. You know, Inflammatory so he bowel. used that. But, so that was his excuse there. But 11th grade, I had a, he started using Coke. I pulled him out of school in 11th grade for Coke. Uh-huh. Um, you pulled him out of school. I pulled him out of school, and I didn't know anything back then. We did a daytime program. You know, I drove him in the morning and brought him home at night and did family counseling and, mm-hmm. you know, treatment. But... And, how, and that was how long ago? 11th grade was how many he years was, ago? Uh, long, he, well, well, what year is that, 2000? Yeah, well, let me see. He's 30, so 11th grade, he was like 17. What What year? Take, take me back. God, I'm terrible. I can't do long days, division, right? yeah. I'm not good at it either. Gia, do you have your calculator? Maybe. Uh, okay. 2003, <laughs> something like that. So Four. late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, okay. There's not, there's not, a, the treatment industry was not what it was. What it is, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, no, residential yeah. treatment, there was not mm-hmm. a lot out mm-hmm. there. There was corners, you know, Cornerstone, yeah. Sober Living by the Sea. They yeah. basically ruled everything. Well, and this um, was just some, I don't even know how I knew about it. Mm-hmm. It was some outpatient program that we went to and mission hospital hogue yeah genesis back yeah. then yeah back mm-hmm. then we did all that slowly and, but surely and did it did it make it worse like i see some kids come in with a with a small problem and they leave with a lot of information it gave him new connections yeah that's about what it did but he did go back to school he graduated school Okay. Know, he ended up going to continuation school and then going back and graduating from regular high school. And uh, so prescription, know, prescription pills, cocaine, prescription pills, introduction to opiates. If you're an opiate addict, you hit your first opiate. You're done. You're done. You're basically done. I think he was. I want to say 22 or 23 when he started using heroin. Maybe 22. Because pills were running out. They were becoming too expensive. He's probably getting cut off from his doctors. And, yeah, and yeah. heroin's cheaper. Yep. And heroin's prevalent. Yeah. Heroin and addiction, though, is it's a disease, and it's got such a stigma, particularly in Orange County. With I've met, I'm talking to so many people, and it's just who I am and, and sharing what I've been through and, and my story, and so many people will then open up. I mean, even before the loss, just mm-hmm. that I have a son who battles addiction, and I do, you know, teach uh, some fitness in that area mm-hmm. and people will open up but I've also talked to people who 
are in denial that have lost a child to an overdose and refuse to admit it and tell their friends they lost a child to a car accident. Orange County, things will get swept under the rug. It doesn't happen because my child can't have a problem. And it's so common in and Orange County. And it's so County, common I'm and it's not... You know, I have three sons. I've lost one. I have one who was five and a half years sober and one who never had a problem and watched his brothers and is complete normie and I don't think does anything, ever did anything. It's not how you parent. It's, it, you know, there's no reason you didn't do anything wrong. I've seen so many parenting lifestyles. <clears throat> yeah. So many parenting lifestyles. Gia, what were you going to say? Well, yeah. no, I just, I think it's interesting. I mean, it's true. There are so many different, you know, parenting, you know, styles uh, and things like that. Um, and we tend to blame people. What kind of mom are you? Or, you know, we do that and that, uh, the way that we blame addicts, because it is a disease. It is a disease. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, I wanted to know what, what you think, um, and Dr. Joe, you as the expert here as well, um, genetics. I mean, you have the son that, you have a son, other son that you said is five and a half years sober, but then you have a son cut from the same cloth that may or may not, or you don't think he's doing anything. How much of I mean, this he's in the really... Now, but he played okay. college sports and yeah. No. All that. Well, can we talk a little bit about the genetic part of this? You know, because it's not, again, it's not necess- It's not how you parent. No. There isn't, that was something, though, that I had to learn. Because growing up, you know, we did our share of partying growing up. I was a smoke pot, and did mm-hmm. a couple lines along the way. Mm-hmm. But as a grown up, it was time to stop. And I became a mom, it was time to stop. And I was, it was easy to walk away from it. You never felt there was a time when you were doing too much that you felt out of control? There was a brief time that I felt I was doing uh-huh. too much, and I was out of control. And how old were you? Um, older. When did you start using what age? Smoking weed. 16, I smoked pot. Oh, all right. Yeah. How about the harder stuff? Uh, 20, yeah, 20, 21. Graduating, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but again, you know, even when I felt like I got out of control for a very brief period of time, all of a sudden I said, I'm out of control, and I stopped. I didn't go through any program. I didn't have any desire. I just walked away. So with my son, I looked at him, I go, what do you mean you can't quit? You're my son, I quit. You're just like me, why can't you quit? And I really had to start learning and reading about the disease of addiction. Mm Again, um, the analogy that's so often made is if you have someone who's a diabetic, you don't turn your back on them if they don't take their insulin. Mm-hmm. So if you have a son who's an addict and he relapses, why would you turn your back on him? Totally I mean, you're going to set a boundary, mm-hmm. whatever that personal boundary is, but we need to understand that it's not always by their choice. What I find really <clears throat> puzzling is that we keep putting the same kids into treatment over and over again, hoping to get different results. Do you think the, the way treatment is set up today, do you think that, this, that, that we're starting to see the flaws in that, in that system and that it may not be the way we need to go or something is missing within those, within those treatment centers? I can only speak to what I've seen with my son in treatment, and I think it was too easy for him. Too, oh, okay. So he would get, he you know, would come in, detox. He would come in, detox. I really, I really wish detox hadn't have been as easy as it would. 
You know, you want to know something, D? I used to pride myself on comfortable detoxes, thinking that that was going to make me, you know... I wished it had been a little bit more painful, and maybe he would have thought twice about doing it again. Uh-huh. Um, I think that for him, if he would have had to work a little harder in treatment and maybe have partial work, and if you want to be in treatment, you have to go to work, and then you have to come back, and you have to test, and you have to do programs, not just lay around and watch TV, or mm -hmm. I understand that he had to learn how to have fun and sobriety, but he had to learn how to function, and fun and sobriety doesn't necessarily mean going to Knott's Berry Farm, and I'm going rock climbing, and I'm going to drive go-karts. Um, I would have liked to see him be a little more responsible. Mm -hmm. I tell you, people coming out of the Rock Center, which is a low... A low pay, Charlie Street, so Cornerstone back in the day, Yellowstone back in the day. <clears throat> Charlie Street, I remember my oldest son dousing his brother in alcohol. Yeah. So that he smelled like alcohol when he went in. Yeah, you actually yeah. have to be drunk yeah. to be to be admitted <laughs> to. Mm -hmm. I I sometimes see higher sobriety rates in the, the, where you're. So maybe maybe the future in the face of what treatment's going to look like is that it's not going to be she she anymore. Well, you and can't be coddled because if I'm going. This but there's so much competition, though. You, I mean, you, you know, if you I'm going to go. feel good, if I'm going to relapse, and then I'm going to get drugs to make me feel good to get sober mm. again, then what's the big deal? Are we screwed with big pharma? Provide still providing. There's no say. In fact, there were a couple of laws recently passed that put gag orders on the DEA, not gag orders, but prevented them from going after and putting restrictions on pharma's ability to you know, disperse opioids without any um, without any accountability. No, absolutely. And, and, the, and the DEA is just kind of like, well, okay, we're going to have to, you know, not, so we're not able to, so we're, you know, it's, it's, it's not obvious, but I know enough, and I want to do a whole show on this, you know, I'm going to have some people who actually know what they're talking about, but I've seen enough, and I've known enough, know enough um, people that are, that are, on, in law enforcement, saying that we are one until pharma is controlled, we're completely screwed in the opioid epidemic. We didn't have a heroin problem back in the seventies. What narcotics did we have back then? Yeah, we had true. morphine. I mean, the heroin addict, heroin was an inner city problem. It was an inner city problem, and again, you know, we were we were raised that you know it's an addicting. You do it once, it's addicting, and withdrawal is painful, and you get sick, and you don't want to, any part of it. We don't do that anymore. But it was we're going to give you a drug. Though. I but still, we're going to give you a drug to get you off your drug. Okay, but co cocaine was available in the 80s, and we but did that, it. Yeah. But cocaine is a different drug. It's not a drug that you get sick from if you don't, right. you know. Crack, that's another story. Then meth, ice, back in the 80s, it was ice, then it turned mm -hmm. into speed and meth. Um, so, you know, I, I think we have to deconstruct this epidemic before we start figuring out. And we also, treatment needs to, <laughs> I hate to say this, but... We're going to need to rethink treatment. Revamp it all. It needs to be revamped. And when are insurance companies going to just get sick paying for this? Because as you stated before, kids are, you know, they're using rehabs now to live in yeah. as their place of residence. And they are taking advantage of their the, the detox facility, so they're going to be comfortable. And then they finish with their detox. 
Well, that was one of the last sons my, um, conversations my son and I had when he said he was going into treatment. And I said, I'm surprised your insurance company is paying for it again. And he got all attitude. And he goes, I don't abuse treatment. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he hung up on me. Mm. But he called back the next day. Um, Denial is huge. I have drug to tell addicts. you, Come though, on. that yeah. when my son was in treatment, I slept better than any other time. I hear that a lot, yeah. You know, because I did. Um, as a parent... I slept with the phone next to my bed for 14 years in case. And there were times when I got a call in the middle of the night um, from friends of his that were keeping him up or watching him because they were going to take him to detox the next day. A couple times he got in trouble. But I always, and it was, I always felt that if something happened, it would be during the night. And that's how I lived even once I was you know, a lot stronger. But that phone would be by my bed. I'd get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I'd look at my phone just in case, and that was a huge step for me just two weeks ago. I went to bed and I put my phone in the other room because for the first few weeks after I lost my son, I would wake up, reach for my phone, start to cry, go about my day, go to sleep, put the phone next to my bed, wake up, reach for my phone. And finally I said, I have to move the, gotta move the phone. And I have to realize that that's not my life anymore. Almost a sense of peace? Is that ironic? For him... Sense of finality? Finality. I I know that he's at peace. Uh, He was an old soul. Mm -hmm. I know that he helped more people in his 30 years than a lot of people ever do in a lifetime. And I think I had mentioned to you, there was one time when he lost a friend, and I asked him how he felt about it, because it was someone close to Mm -hmm. him. And he said, jealous, which was not the answer I ever expected. And I said, yeah. jealous, he said, just jealous because he's not fighting anymore. Yeah. So for that, yeah, there's a, there's a sense of peace. I want to go to break on that note. When we come back, I want to hear how you're giving back and how you're healing through this. All right. Give us a call here. Uh, the number is 949-650-1015. This is The Recovery Show. I'm Dr. Joe. And I'm Gia. And we'll be right back. Ever wonder what happens when Main Street collides with Wall Street at the intersection of influence and affluence? Hi, I'm Robert Mike The entire Money Guy team is here to help you every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on Money Wise with the Money Guys. From taxes to pensions, on fiscal policy, and even funding your children's education, we'll bring a fresh seasoned perspective to the table. We give your future direction every Saturday here on KOCI. I'm Steve Schripper. I played Bobby Bacalar on The Sopranos, and I have a confession to make. Whenever I have pasta, I use sauce from a jar. But not just any sauce. My Uncle Steve's sauce. It's my mother's recipe, only better. Made from imported Italian tomatoes and fresh, authentic ingredients, certified organic, gluten-free, and non-GMO. Uncle Steve's at Albertsons, Vons, and Pavilions, or online at UncleStevesNY.com. It's a sauce even an Italian would love. Mesa Water offers rebates for its business and residential customers to save water indoors and out. Saving water saves you money and the environment. For watering schedules and to book a free WaterWise house call, 
Click the Save Water tab at mesawater.org. If you have a question for Dee Simran, who's been uh, sharing her story with us tonight about her uh, son who passed from an overdose two and a half months ago. Now, since then, you've had some pretty remarkable experiences, and you've met some pretty incredible people that have helped you heal in ways that you didn't think were going to be possible. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, I like to say that I have to stop saying, um, (laughs) Joey is steering my ship. And I really believe that we were very close and uh, I know he's still up above watching over me. For me and my healing, but for my relationship with him, he wasn't able to help himself, but he helped so many people along the way, as I said the amount of messages I've had from people I don't know on Messenger. You know, I'm sober because of your son. Your son saved my life. Um, I was in an abusive relationship, and Joey talked to me every night and gave me the confidence to leave. Wow. My great-grandma died, and my family wasn't here yet, and Joey slept next to me all night while I was crying. And he was a true friend to so many people that, for me, that's when I say... If you took addiction and his addiction out of the equation, I am so proud of him and the person he was and the people that he helped that I owe it to him in my feeling to take that and continue his work by helping other people and by sharing our story. In a lot of ways, when you listen to that, Joey changes the face of what an addict was. Mm -hmm. He functioned most of the time. He helped other people. And... 
I want people to see other addicts as people, not just addicts, and find their good qualities. And I'd like to help people understand that there is help, there is hope, and there's no shame in talking about your problem. For me, sharing that I lost him, if I share how I feel and what I've been through and the impact that he's had on me, and there was a lot of hurt and a lot of tears. There's not a day that I don't tear up at some point. Or I reached for something in the closet the other day and it was a barbecue sauce that I happened to know that he loved and I make my ribs out of. I looked at that and started to cry. Mm -hmm. But through that cry, I also embraced the fact that we had that memory. So it was kind of a bittersweet cry because I'm so happy that we had those times and I have those memories to hold on to. Taking that and moving forward and sharing our story, sharing his loss, sharing with especially kids in treatment, the impact that it's had on me and the heartache. If I can help one more person, I owe it to him to do that, as well as myself. And doing that helps me heal. Like just tonight you came from another... I came from an opioid awareness in Laguna Hills. Uh-huh. It was a phenomenal program. The Noel Foundation had put that on. Watching the documentary that you know the name of, I can't think of right long now. Road, long way back. Uh, yep. Long way Tal- back. Todd Z. Zalkins. Yeah. yeah. Todd Z. was on the show I, I met with Todd, Mike Meeker, I the producer. Did you meet Mike? And spoke to him and uh, let him know my interest and where I was, and we'll connect with him afterwards. Bringing more awareness and just seeing more people come out is huge. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's huge. It's a tribute to his memory and to helping other people and helping myself move forward. No parent, I'm going to get this in, should ever, you know, when you're young, you're convinced you're invincible. You don't think it's going to happen to you. You don't realize, like when I told Joey, you know, if you were a cat, you'd be on Life 10, and he joked, he knew. But yet you think you're invisible. You can do it one more time. It's, everything's going to be fine. Well, that one more time because there was only one space on the letter that his dad had to fill fill out, left me emailing a note with one sentence that no parent should ever have to write. I give you permission to cremate my son. No parent should ever have to go through that. People need to understand that you don't know what you're getting. It's not like when we were growing up and smoked pot and it wasn't so strong or (laughs) even heroin that wasn't cut with things that you don't know. It's not a safe world, and it's not okay. You need to realize that these people are making money on you. It's not your buddy. Nope. It's drug cartels. It's drug cartels. It's drug cartels that deal in more than... it's. There's a lot of blood and a lot of darkness in drugs now. And I'm almost happy in a way that marijuana is becoming legalized because that's going to take that out of the equation because there was a lot of blood t- mm-hmm. tied to that. There's a, a lot, lot of, of trafficking. A lot of chemicals being sprayed on it. Chemicals. There's a lot of um, genetically modified uh, st- uh, things going on with that. But there's also, and we're going to do a show on this, about the traffic, sex, sex and body trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, f- I hear that way too often. Way too it's often. Real. And I hear cartels that are involved in that, and cartels are, are, are transporting drugs and people at the same time. 
and it's almost like slaves and rum back in the day. And using the, people this is, to yeah. transport drugs in body orifices, not caring if they break in those orifices. Nope. Oh, right. There's no, um, there's no, no honor limits. amongst thieves. There's no honor amongst thieves, and and w- this is definitely a different world. It is a different world, but for parents, you know, just. You have to have boundaries, and you have to. S- then going back to what you asked me, what what you would do with young children, mm-hmm. there need to be consequences. And so, if you tell your child something, and it's not like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to be grounded. Oh, but I really wanted to go. So, well, maybe I'll take you anyway if you promise not to do it again. Gia, have you ever had to deal with this? I've absolutely had to deal with that, and how I can, have you handled I, it? I can definitely relate. Um, I try to practice tough love because it's happened to me, you know, with my two children. Where, again, it, it's it's uh, you know, if you if you just do this, then we can, you know. But you you really have to put your foot down and practice that tough love and say it and and then follow through you talked about that earlier it's the follow through that resonated because Mm -hmm. i definitely understand yeah or choices you you can give choices but it's not like do this or you're going to get in trouble it's like unload the dishwasher or take out the garbage pick so you're still getting something done exactly you know but rather change the way you're doing that and follow through on that as they grow up I couldn't stop him from using drugs, but he knew if he was going to use drugs, he was going to get kicked out or cut, or off. cut off or not have a phone or not get his driver's license. Or there was a time he came home and he didn't have a door on his bedroom anymore because if I can't trust you, you can't have a door. I'd like to, I'd like to underline one, underscore one of the things that you just said. The phone is a huge thing. Huge. The phone is a big enabling item. For parents who are dealing with kids that are struggling with drugs, don't pay your kid's phone bill. That is the easiest way to stop enabling. And it's it's a low conscious conscience kind of thing. And it's the you, hardest thing to do because it's the umbilical cord. Uh, yes. I can call my kid because they've got a phone or I know where they are because they've got an emergency a phone. Happens? But you know what? We yeah. grew up without phones and we're okay. Right? We need more seatbelts. <laughs> yeah, so, I'll do, never do you speak for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget the first time it was, you know, um, beepers. My kids wanted a pager. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Only pimps and drug dealers get pagers. And then when I finally broke down and, and got him, when I finally broke down and got him a pager, who used it the most? Me. Call me. Are you coming home for dinner? Where are you? Probably want to throw it in the in the oh, in the ocean. They were tired. They were like, we asked for this, but yeah, you know, um, phones are. Phones are huge enablers. Yeah. And laptops. Put that computer in the family room where you can walk by and see who they're chatting with. Oh, yeah. Not in their bedroom. Yep. Yeah, look at your kid. You know, find there are ways to find out who your kids are oh, texting. Oh, yeah. If you're living in my house, I'm going to go in your room. Yep. I don't care. Yep. I throw, I throw a peacup at my son randomly. Oh yeah, and I drug tested. Yeah, obviously. And he gets pissed at me. I go, don't even, don't even I go. Mean, I there. did all that, and look, I, I still I, ended I, up right. this way. Y- right, I know. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. There's really, if a kid is going to find it, and they've got they're the genetic predisposition, and we're making it available, it. and we're not. But, and, and but, society, but don't be ashamed to talk about it. Reach out and talk to other people and know you're, you're right. not alone. Yep. Al-Anon is a wonderful program. There are other programs. There are just friend groups. You're not alone. And 
you know, reach out. Don't be ashamed. Speaking of reaching out, are you willing to give some information about how to contact you? If anybody out there, I, I know this is a tough, we're, we're going to have to wrap up right now. Two minutes. Okay. Yeah. The, the, this is a tough subject. Like you just said, we don't want to admit it. People probably don't want to call in. Um, we're probably going to get a lot of questions on, on, on Facebook regarding this. Can we put them in touch with Absolutely. you? Okay. Absolutely. And I've had that already with someone um, who knew someone who lost a child and could, could I speak to them or could they call me? Absolutely. Or you don't have to have lost a child. You're just going through this and maybe you don't want to talk to someone. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk to anyone, share my experience or listen. And if I can't help you, I know a lot of people who can. I can help point you in the right direction. Well, Dee, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, you so much. You, thank su you, for you surprised me. me with a lot of your answers. You taught me a lot tonight. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I had preconceived ideas, and I don't usually get to speak with, with the parents who have lost yeah. kids. And if I do, it's a very short conversation. Well, I'm really grateful for being here. Yeah. I wish Angelina were here. and. Um, yeah, I did too. Season. Amazing. We, we definitely could have done a second hour. Um, is there anything, any parting words you want to leave us with? No. <laughs> all right. I think you've said it all. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Gia, for sitting in. Thank no you, Rip, for wonderful Joe. boards and pulling that music for us. And uh, we're going to be back next week. Next Thursday. What's the topic, Gia? Sex. Oh, no, sorry. Who can I come? <laughs> that was an internal thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> Who can I come? <laughs> sorry. Um, next week, yeah. we've got something great. <laughs> Sex. She doesn't remember. So tune in and just be here. Be it'll, here. It'll either, it'll probably revert to sex anyway. <laughs> yeah. Dee Simran, thank you so much for coming on tonight. You're healing and you're helping others heal. That's well, We appreciate that. Do. And where there's breath, there's hope. Thank you very much. Thank you. Rip, until next week, this is The Recovery Show. I'm Dr. Joe. And I'm Gia. And we will see you next Thursday next night week. at 8 p.m. Until then, stay close. With a strong foundation that was carved in stone. Now my mama, father, love that made my house a home. Let me wonder sometime if this is meant to be. All this for a humble little guy like me. And all I ever really wanted was a family. To teach my kids the same valley that she gave to me. She's the sun, the times, and the tides are high. And the old baby rocky, you can cry. Just never give up. You can never give up. In this life, you can lead if you only believe. And in order to achieve what you need, you can never give up. Oh.